Well, we have the privilege tonight of hearing from one of our own family missionaries. Mike Schott has been ministering the gospel faithfully from the time that he's been saved. He doesn't really need an introduction to our church family because he is one of us. Mike and Sandy and their beautiful children minister alongside of us, and Mike is actively spearheading the activities of SOS Ministries International. And tonight we're going to hear from Mike and from the Word. We will be excited because you can't help but catch Mike's excitement when he speaks. But before he comes, his IT people prepared a little video about his most recent ministry trip to Nigeria. SOS ministers around the world. Wherever the Lord opens a door, Mike is quick to go. And the Lord has been doing a work for the last couple of years in Nigeria. And so there's a short video that they're going to show. And then Mike will come and share from the word with us. Good evening, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? When I say it is good to be back with you, you have no idea of where I was just four days ago. Traveling the land of that country you were just introduced to, the land of Nigeria. So for me to be home with family, I'm the one who's blessed. So I greet you, I bring back greetings from our brothers and sisters in Christ, many of them who are suffering for the gospel's sake. They said, Mike, when you go back to the States, please tell the, the church in the West that we are grateful for their support. So this, this thing that you call missions in October, on behalf of all missionaries, if I could just be as so bold, on behalf of all of us, thank you. Thank you, Lakeside. Thank you for those of us you support, you pray for. Many of you, as you see me coming and going, sometimes you don't see me for months. And when I come back, the first thing I hear people say is, Mike, we've been praying for you. Mike, how's the mission going? Are you serving the Lord well? Is God still saving lost people, Mike? Is it growing? What is the current status of the mission you have called, the Lord has called us to? And so I'd just like to share with you just from... Acts chapter 14, I believe the synopsis of the mission could be defined in this verse. Acts 14, you recall, maybe some of you are very familiar with this verse when it says that after they had returned, Paul returns home from his first missionary trip, gathers the whole church together to bring the report of what? It's one thing that we understand, yes, we're bringing the report back. It's another thing, what are we reporting? So I would like to report to you the twofold message of what this verse is saying in Acts 14, 27. Number one, it says, what God has chosen to do through us. And number two, how God is opening the door of faith to the lost, to the unbeliever. You want to know how SOS is doing? Praise God. Church, you can praise the Lord, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is still choosing to use us. He's still choosing. It's his choosing. It's his harvest field. He's just asked us to be guardian takers of it. That's all. And the second fold of it, not only is he choosing to use us, but he is the one who is opening doors. He is the reason why we're baptizing former Muslims. Those who once were bending their knee to Muhammad are now bending their knee to Jesus Christ. He's the one doing it. And we praise God for that. We praise the Lord. So... Really, Joe, that's it. That about sums it up. <laughs> if you can believe that. By the grace of God, 
we continue to press on. The reason why you see me with beard is not because my wife likes it. She doesn't. I leave for a couple weeks for Pakistan. Another extremely difficult, dangerous country in this world that, humanly speaking, nobody in their right mind would want to go to. But isn't that just where Jesus Christ would go and have his word preached to the lost? And not just the ministry to Muslims that we would preach the gospel to those who are perishing, but do you know how much our church, our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering for the name of Jesus Christ? So much to the degree that we call them the underground church. Wouldn't it be just like our Lord that he would call us to such a place, to such a people, during such times? Some of you brought back the report on Honduras. I don't need to share with you of how God has chosen to save many and build up the infant church in Honduras and El Salvador. So once again, thank you for the many of those of you who choose to serve the Lord with us. We're grateful for your prayers, your support. Thank you. As the Lord has poured into SOS the heart, the resolve, the reality, the challenge, and the fulfillment, I can think of no greater thing when you think of SOS ministries and what specifically the Lord has called us to. He has called us to what I call the Jude 20 through 23 mission. So if you would, just please turn there. I'd just like to camp out there tonight with you for just a little bit. Jude, please do not ask what chapter. The context of Jude is that we're guarding against the false teachers and their influence, if you will, the apostates. Because why? Because they're influencing the world. And even as, as Jude says at the beginning of verse 4, he says that these false teachers and apostates, they're now inside and infiltrating the church. It's bringing great devastation. And the impact and the influence they have on them, what should our response be, church? What should our response be knowing that the reality of the horrible influence, the demonic, the satanic, the evil influence throughout the world, what should our response be? Jude tells us, and I've called this, if you will, the internal and the external mandate. As I've studied and considered these verses, just to share with you briefly, the internal mandate, verse 20. So on behalf of all of this information, you, dear friends, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, verse 21, keeping yourself in God's love as you're waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So what should our response be to the horrible influence that is going on throughout the world? This internal mandate and focus. If you notice there, there are four helping verbs. First of all, we're called to build. Building ourselves up. In other words, maturing and growing and reproducing. And as Paul told the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20, verse 32, that is done through the word of God. How do you build and grow and mature? How's the church in Honduras the infant church in Nigeria, the suffering church in Pakistan, how are they going to build themselves up? Not with their own accord, but according to the word of God and by the word of God and in the word of God. The second verb, if you will, as you see there, is praying in the Holy Spirit. Not just build yourself up with the word, but praying in the Holy Spirit. Petition and request. If you will, it's the cry of Philippians 4, 6. With all petitions and all requests, with the heart of thanksgiving, make your requests made known to God. Pray. 
Once again, this internal focus, building and praying. Thirdly, keep yourself in God's love. Of all the four verbs here, that word keep, that is a command. We are commanded to keep ourselves. In other words, persevere, preserve in God's love. Keep your eye on this and don't let it escape you, as some are in the habit of doing. Jesus said it best in John 14, 15, when he said, if you love me. In other words, if our relationship is really based on this love, God first chose to love me, therefore I can love him. If it's based on this love, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. It has to do with obedience in Jesus Christ. Hence this internal focus. The last one there, as you see there, is waiting. Waiting patiently and eager with great expectation. The longing for the return of Christ to bring us where? To eternal life. That's the one that intrigues me the most. This great expectation. Longing, if I can use this word in a positive sense, lusting, if you will. Not all lust is wrong. This craving and desiring with all of our hearts for Christ to come back and take us home. Take us away from all this mess. And though we have these longing in Christ, if you will, this sanctified anxiety of Christ coming back at any minute, I assure you, friends, not everybody in the world does. Not everybody has this longing, this craving for Christ to return. As a matter of fact, on this trip, on this very trip, just to show you the reality and the hardship of the mission field and where the Lord has called us, you realize Nigeria is the largest populated country in Africa. It's the eighth largest populated country in the world. If you took the, the, the state of California and Arizona, the size of those states, put them together, that is the size, the geographical size of Nigeria. And there are 155 million people living in that country. And imagine, half the population of the United States living in California and Arizona. And not only that, they're one of the poorest. The average family, not the average person, the average family lives on $30 a month. Not $30 a week, not $30 a day, $30 a month. And as we're driving along just recently on this trip, literally just nine days ago when I was there, and we're pressing our way into a Muslim stronghold, in one of the most populated, busiest sections outside of Lagos, and those of you who traveled know exactly where that is and what that means, there, right there on the side of the road, was a corpse. A dead man. Can you imagine driving down US-19 and seeing a dead man? He was so decomposing. We, we guessed he was at least seven or eight days laying there. And people are just rushing by, not giving any care. And in my spirit, I... So when I say I long, and I'm waiting for Christ to take me home away from all this mess, Nigeria, there's no sense of that. And I thought to myself, was he murdered? Was this the dump site? Was he a victim of an accident? Somebody hit him with a car and he's left to die right there with nobody to care for him? He had a mother and a father. Do you have children? Nobody to bury him? No respect? I, I, I'll be honest. I was shaken. 
And that is a common sight. That is a common sight to see dead people laying without no regard, no care, no respect. While we were preaching in the Muslim stronghold, as you saw on the screen there, to the village of Oteri, those of you who served with us well in Nigeria, our friends in Oteri, they pass on a greeting to you. They said that specifically. Please pass on a greeting to those who have served and come with us. And right in the middle of the preaching, right in the middle of expounding God's word, one of the Muslims stood up and he says, forgive the interruption, would you please provide fresh drinking water for us, for tomorrow we'll die if we don't. There's no future. How can they long for Jesus Christ and this desire for eternal life if they're living for the here and the now and they're dying without hope right now? Hence why I was shaking. You want to be effective and productive in the advancement of God's kingdom? As Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your own heart, for it is the wellspring of life. From it flow abundant waters. In keeping, if you will, this internal mandate, we must win the internal battle if we desire to engage the external. Did y'all catch that? We must win the internal battle if we desire to engage the external. However, we are not called to be introverted Christians, are we? It sure does seem like that's where a lot of study gets us, to be very introverted. Not looking at the reality of what's going on outside these four walls. We need to caution ourselves of becoming, if you will, an introverted institutional church. If you will, we need to externalize it. This is what a man of God had to say. Consider his words. Let a flutter of fire hit a populous countryside, and not one able-bodied citizen feels that he has the right to rest until he has done all he can do to save as many as he can. While death stalks farmhouses and villages, no one dares relax. This is the accepted code by which we live, is it not? The critical emergency for some becomes an emergency for all. From the highest government official to the local Boy Scout. As long as the flood rages and the fire roars on, no one talks about normal times. No times are normal, he goes on to say. While while the helpless people cower in the path of destruction, in times of extraordinary crisis, ordinary measures will not suffice, church. They won't. The world lives in such a time of crisis. Christians alone are in a position to rescue the perishing. We dare not settle down and try to live as if things are normal. Nothing is normal while sin and lust and death roam the earth. Nothing is normal. It's a perfect segue into the external mandate must be strong. I get that. I get we must be really strong Christians and building ourselves up and waiting and praying and keeping ourselves in God's love. What about the external? Jude had much to say about that. Consider, if you would, verses 22 and 23. Once again, the focus goes from internal to external. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. 
to others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Jude exhorts us to go after and minister to three different kinds of people groups. Y'all ready? You want to know who to go on target? You want to know who needs the gospel? You want to know as a church body, both corporately and individually, we can go after? Jude gives us three, three different types of people. The first type of people, as he says in verse 22, is the doubter. Be merciful to those who doubt. Because of their own sin and the influence of false teachers, some have become skeptics, cynics. Maybe they at one time thought and considered, but because of the cloudiness, they no longer do. They've abandoned it, and they're now doubting. Go and win them. And you know something for that fact? This could be believer or non-believer. Have you ever doubted? Have you? Then be merciful to those who doubt. Go after them. Target them. Win them back. The last words of James in his book, James chapter 5, the very last words, you could even save their soul from death. Hmm. The second type of people group Jude calls us to in verse, the beginning of verse 23 is what I've called the hopeless. The hopeless. Not just the doubters, but secondly, the hopeless. Save others and snatch them from the fire. <laughs> this one is so huge. I'm going to come back to it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna camp out there the rest of the night considering that second people group, the hopeless, and what it means to go after them. So just quickly, we'll go on to the third different type of people group Jude talks about as he closes out verse 23. I've called them the dangerous. They're very dangerous. Why? What does the verse say? To others show mercy mixed with fear. Why? Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. In other words, there are certain people that have so corrupted themselves. Many theologians believe that this type of people group, they are the apostates themselves. And at best, they are clearly under the influence, severe influence of their doctrine. And what is our mandate to them? Be merciful. Be gracious. Show compassion. Have you ever met an apostate, a false teacher? Are you gracious to him? When's the last time he's probably ever met a gracious, compassionate Christian? That's what Jude is calling us to. These three spiritually deprived and depraved people, they can be looked at through the lenses of that second one, the hopeless. The hopeless. Surely all three of them are utterly and totally helpless and hopeless. Utterly. So on that note, I would like to make three observations about the hopeless. Y'all tracking that? So we got the three different kind of people group, from the doubter to the hopeless to the dangerous type people, and now we're going to just take that hopeless and we're going to develop it, we're going to blow it up, and consider that tonight. And I'd like to make three observations in a very short phrase of what Jude have to say. Observation number one. Number one, they need to be saved from what, according to the verse? The fire. They need to be saved from the fire. What does that tell us? That tells us that they are already on fire. There's a sentence of death and a sentence of judgment already hanging over them. They're not even burning forever in this place we called hell, and yet there's already that sentence of death on them. 
The word fire, by the way, is used in the scriptures metaphorically many times for what other word? Hell. Hell. And as Mark 9, 48 says, the fire is never, ever, ever quenched. Hence the eternal punishment and judgment that looms over them all. It's looming. And just how hopeless is the helplessness of the lost? Just how hopeless is their situation? The last time I was with you, at least in the pulpit, I introduced to you the biography of Jonathan Edwards. Tonight I would like to introduce to you his message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You got a copy of it? I would encourage you to get a copy of it. If you don't have a copy of it, come and see me. I have a copy of it that I'd love to give you. It's approximately $1.25, but no cost to you. We're running a special. (laughs) How hopeless is the helplessness of the lost? Consider the words of Jonathan Edwards in his message. The bow of God's wrath is bending and straining. The arrow is already set on the string, and justice is aiming directly at the heart. It is nothing but the mere pleasure of God, an angry God, who is not who is keep the restrainingness of any promise or obligation that keeps that arrow from being drunk with your blood. This means that all of you whose hearts have never been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've never been born again and made new creatures, raised from the dead and now living in the light of life, all of you are in the hands of an angry God. You are hanging by a slender thread. Consider his analogies. You are hanging by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath burning around it, and they are already singeing it, burning all the way through it at any moment. And yet you have no interest in a mediator, nothing to grab a hold of yourself, nothing to fend off the flames of this wrath, nothing in yourself, nothing you have ever done, nothing you could do to persuade God to spare you for one more moment. That's hopelessness, people. When's the last time you looked at a lost person that way? When's the last time? And if that's not enough, what is the repercussion of those who continue to allow themselves to engage in darkness? What is the repercussion of that? It's catastrophic. I bring you back a sobering report from Nigeria. You see the title of that? You see what the title of that article says? Murder in Nigeria. You want to know what happened when people continue to resist and they're continuing that sentence of of flame and burning is hanging over them? And the repercussion of their actions, it's horrific. It's catastrophic. Murder in Nigeria. Christian teachers brutally burned and murdered by Muslim students. Can I share this with you? As if you have a choice. Oluwafami is her name. She was a devout Christian teacher working in a public school which is under the influence of Sharia law in Nigeria. And she was overseeing an examination, a test that was going on at the end of the year. And they were permitted to bring no books into the classroom for this examination. 
and one of the Muslim students brought in the Quran to cheat, to look up verses in their Islamic studies. And the teacher caught them cheating. And this is the story. At the end of the examination, the students began shouting, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. What does that mean? Allah is great. He's not love. He's not forgiveness. He's not peace. He's not hope. He's not joy. No, the Muslims chanted their great jihad chant, Allahu Akbar, Allah is great. The students began chanting this and claiming that the book confiscated by the teacher was the Quran. For desecrating their holy book, they vowed that she must pay with her life. The students, incited to violence by the militant call to jihad, banded together. Armed with knives and machetes, they started chasing Alawafami, who was said to have sought refuge in the school principal's office. God bless you, Jim Jensen, if it was to ever get to that point at Lakeside. Breaking down the barriers, they made their way into the office, office and they dragged her outside. To make this a public and a demoralizing spectacle, they stripped her naked and began using knives and machetes on her body. Despite her pleas, the murderous students eventually slaughtered her and they threw her in her own car, which they set on fire. Still not satisfied enough with jihad justice, they turned on the principal who tried to protect her. They beat him mercilessly. In the final rampage, they proceeded to burn down the school clinic, the administrative block, and the library. Does that disturb you? It does me. What is the response we should have to such a people? What does Jude say? Save them from the fire. For they know not what they do. Wasn't that the crying words, last words of Stephen, as well as Jesus Christ himself? They know not what they are doing. The second observation, number one, save them from fire. The second observation is snatch them from the fire. Snatch them. You know, that word snatches is intriguing to me also. It literally means a forceful taking away, to seize upon with force. And that forceful taking away, that is by someone other than yourself. So in other words, it's impossible to snatch yourself out of the fire. It's going to require great force, and it's going to require somebody much greater than yourself to do the snatching. In the scriptures, who is doing the snatching? Who's doing the snatching? The answer might surprise you. I'd like to share with you just briefly the identical word in the original language as it's used throughout the New Testament. The first usage is in Matthew 13, verse 19. Matthew 13, verse 19. That might surprise you once again. Who's doing the snatching here? When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes, and there it is, snatches away what was sown in his heart. Who's doing the snatching? The enemy of God. 
He is not pleased. He is not happy. And so to the ignorant ones and the naive ones who refuse to believe the very good seed that was even brought near their heart, Satan comes and he forcefully snatches it away. How hopeless is the helpless. Thank God he's not the only one snatching, amen? Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.17. 1 Thessalonians 4.17. After that, we who are still alive and left will be what? We will be snatched together with them. Some of your translations might say caught up, but it's the identical word in Jude. The word snatched. Who's doing the snatching now? We'll be caught up with the Lord and we will be with the Lord forever. Who's doing the snatching? Praise God, Jesus Christ is. Praise the Lord that the enemy is not the only one doing the snatching. And remember, it's a forceful taking by force. Jesus Christ is snatching you. And just to give you a little comfort and encouragement, what great security once we have in Christ, once again, that identical word. Remember that precious thought of John chapter 10? When Jesus says, and if you were in the Father's hand, what can happen? No one can snatch you. There it is again. He goes on to say in John 10, 29, and Jesus said, and no one can snatch you from my hand. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. No one can snatch you from the Son's hand. Guess what? We are eternally secure. It's impossible for Satan to snatch us once we are in Christ. I find great hope in that, by the way. I find great hope. And that is the only hope that is for Nigeria. That is the only hope that is for Pakistan, for Honduras, for El Salvador. It's their only hope that they would be snatched by Jesus Christ. But we're not done yet. Who else is doing the snatching? Satan? Jesus Christ? Let's go back to our text in Jude. Okay, class. Who's doing the snatching in Jude? Satan or Jesus Christ? Neither, neither, the faithful ones of God. And this is a perfect time to mention our third observation about the hopeless. Once again, the first observation, they need to be saved from the fire. Second observation, they need to be snatched from the fire. Thirdly, we are the instruments. We are the ones who are doing the saving and the snatching from the fire. Do y'all get that? Jude's audience, by the way, is not to the evangelists. In verse number one, he describes, who who is his audience? Verse number one, to those of you who are called, those of you who are loved by God, and those of you who are kept in Jesus Christ. Church, that's who the exhortation is for. Are you called by God out of darkness and into his light? Say amen. Are you loved? Be loved by God himself? Say amen. Are you kept in Jesus Christ? Then say amen. This exhortation is for you then. We are called by God, challenged by Jude, to do the rescuing and the saving. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, remember that bold statement he said? I have become all things to all men for what purpose? That I might save some. Excuse me, Paul? (laughs) That you might save some? Yeah, Paul said that I might save some. Romans eleven fourteen, he says the same thing. That I may rouse my countrymen, the Israelites, to envy that I might save some. 
Now, before you all start stressing out, before you start getting a little anxious, I'd like to throw out the disclaimer. I believe, because the Scripture teaches clearly, Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name given under heaven by which what? By which we must be saved. It is only in Christ that can save us. I get that. Titus 3.5, he saved us. That is, Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. It's his mercy. He's doing the saving. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, what could be considered the parallel passage of this Jude thought. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, Zechariah said, Zechariah 3, 2. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, indeed. The Lord who chose Jerusalem, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? So I get it, church. I get it. Trust me. Clearly, the Lord is ultimately the one who can only do the saving. But church, that is not the end of the story. Once God has saved us and once he has redeemed us, it is now his plan. It is now his plan that we be the catalyst. We be the vehicle. We be the agent. If you will, we be the firemen to rescue them out of the fire. It's simply his plan. Have you ever considered the fireman? His daunting call. The fireman, he knows. He knows his calling. He knows the danger. But he also knows the reward of what it means to save somebody out of the fire. Do you remember on that dreadful day, 9-11, we just celebrated the 10-year anniversary. That dreadful day, do you remember how many firemen died in those two fallen buildings in the fire? Do you remember how many? 343 firemen. They understand the danger. But they're called. For those of you old-timers here that have been here, if you remember, the Lord called me and a number of others with SOS to go up to Ground Zero. Just days after September 11th, I was inside Ground Zero in downtown Manhattan. SOS was invited by the Red Cross to minister to policemen and firemen in their distress. And friends, I assure you, I will never forget, even 10 years later, I have never forgotten what it means to stand as the triage unit was located right there on location. At that point, the buildings were still on fire. Remember the extension ladders and the firemen still spraying? I would feel the mist of their spray. And in one of the triage units, I met a fireman named Bob. And I will never, ever forget the resolve that Bob, Bob had. He had lost his colleagues. He had lost his friends. Two of his family members died that day during those days. But his resolve and his determination while those buildings were still on fire, I'm, I'm going back. I'm going back into that fire. I'm going to find them. And I'm going to rescue I'm, I'm going. I'm going back. I don't care if it costs me my own life. God, that if you would only pour that kind of resolve into your children. You know, the fruit and the blessing bore as a result of this fulfillment of Jude 23. You want to know what fruit and blessing there is when you fulfill this commission that Jude has given us? Of what it means 
to rescue people from the flames of hell, that we would be used as catalysts and agents and vehicles of God to do such a thing? You want to know what blessing is born as a result of it? Y'all just saw it. Can you imagine that? Muslims who were once killing, hating, persecuting, burning Christians are now being baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. It's a glorious thing. Just seven days ago, sometimes I feel like I'm out of my mind. I mean, I, I go from the most deplorable situation in this universe that it has to offer in the jungles, the remote area of Nigeria, one of the poorest countries in Africa, one of the largest countries, and one of the greatest, strongest Muslim strongholds. And it would be there that God would call us to preach the good news and to see them come out of darkness and into his glorious light. So in keeping with SOS's calling of Romans 15, 20, that he's called us to preach the gospel where it is not known. So there we went into this Muslim stronghold, and as people were coming to faith, you saw the orphanage, you see those precious children? They're not just any kind of children. They're persecuted children. They're children of martyrs. And so we saw, they have a choir. They have a beautiful choir. I don't even know if they sang for us while they were. They have a beautiful choir. And I so much wanted these orphans, these children, to go into this Muslim stronghold to sing praises with God of those who are now coming out of Islam and worshiping Jesus Christ. Hence, out of my mind. Immediately, the director of the orphanage, his name is Wusu, some of you know him by Isaac. Brother Wusu said, ah, no way, no way. There ain't no way we're doing that. These children were rescued out of this situation. We ain't bring them back into it. I asked him one more time, a second time, same response. So I purpose, I'm not going to ask him again. Seven days ago, church, not seven weeks ago, not seven months ago, not seven years ago, just last Sunday, just last Sunday, Brother Wusu came to me and he said, Mike, I believe now is the time. Now is the time. Twelve persecuted children, the choir, took off for the Muslim stronghold of a concon where 50 people are now gathered for worship do you know how scared they were? Would you be scared? Want to know what song they sang? In Yoruba language, their language? Jesus, Jesus, who washes all my tears away. Sung from Revelation 21.4. When he will wipe every tear away. You know who wrote that song? One of the orphans who escaped the attacks, but his mother and father died, and he wrote that song because Jesus had wiped his tear away. I called it one of the greatest ironic moments in my mission life. There they're singing this. Now imagine the scene, persecuted children singing in a Muslim stronghold to converted Muslims. The irony was they're singing Jesus who wipes every tear away and I'm bawling. <laughs> I'm just bawling. God could do all things. I'll be very honest though. You know how much I prayed in the spirit that day that no harm would fall on? Like God, if, if there is a day where you're going to bring persecution to the village, please don't let it be today. Please, Lord, please, Lord. 
And we begged that, seriously, we cried and we begged. Lord, please don't let it be today. Isaac Wusu, he, he was shaking. It was, it was a mission trip for those children. In every sense of the word, only 30 minutes away, it was a mission trip for them. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord. God is choosing to do great things in us. He's choosing to. He's continuing to opening the door of faith to unbelievers. He's doing that. He's continuing to use us to bring people out of the fire. He's continuing to do that. Therefore, my resolve is strong. Be encouraged, church. The beard, you see me, you don't see me for a while, pray for me while I'm in Pakistan. You want to continue to give after this October month? Give to the persecuted church of Pakistan where I'll be going. Did not that man of God, Spurgeon, say, was it not Spurgeon, that wonderful man of God, is it not he who said, where are God's faithful that they would lay their bodies at the gates of hell and permit no one to pass? Where are they? Where are the redeemed firemen who are willing to lay their bodies at the gates of hell? And permit no one to pass. If you are not saving and rescuing people out of the fire, perhaps, just perhaps, you yourself are still in need of being rescued. Show compassion on those who are perishing. Show compassion on everyone who is perishing. Be gracious. Be hospitable. Show mercy mixed with fear. Preach to everyone as if they were the elect. That's the resolve God has poured in our hearts. We preach to every single person we come into contact with as if they were the elect. In Church of Lakeside, Snatch people out of the fire and save them. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Kurt. God be with you, church. Would you all stand with me for a closing prayer? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work that you are doing. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful report but also this sobering report that shows there's so much work to be done. Lord, we pray that you will create in us the urgency and the desire to live out the truths of your word, that we would be the ones to lay our bodies in front of the gates of hell, doing everything in our power under your sovereign will to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Lord, as we have an opportunity now to share some refreshments as a church family, we pray that our conversations would be sober-minded and that perhaps even now we would seek to know how to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to live out the realities of the truths we've been challenged with tonight. Lord, we pray for our brother, brother Mike as he is preparing to go to Pakistan, a dangerous place. We pray for the persecuted church there. 
And we pray for Sandy and Mike's children as they're here at home. We pray that you would surround them with your love and peace. And we pray, Lord, that we can rejoice to hear the work that you've done through our brother again as he was returned home safely to us. Lord, we give you the glory for what you are doing in the world. Lord, we're humbled that you would use sinners like us to do the work of the ministry, and we pray that you would embolden us to carry out our calling that you've given us. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.